Thank you for listening to the Roundtable Consult, where we discuss political and social issues that matter to you from a spiritual, medical, and legal perspective. Join the conversation with your host, Attorney Sonia Madison and Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to the Roundtable Consult. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Williams, and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host. You know our name. <laughs> I have to patiently wait for the long-awaited accolades. Well, I mean, you know, you have to pause, and you know, before you say your name, you have to. <laughs> you have to. Well, I know you missed me from last week. Um, I am feeling a lot better, but so sorry to the viewers that I, I couldn't quite get it on there. Um, but much thanks to our guest Angela um, Carswell for holding it down for me. Uh, uh, it, it's going around and it, I don't know if, if you guys are talking about it. I know the CDC just came out and said that it's going to be a lot more hospitalizations yeah. than usual. But I mean, from, from your standpoint, what are we looking at? Uh, you know, honestly, I, I recently have only, I haven't looked at much of the data lately because like you last week, I was ill too, but I showed up on the show. Uh, <laughs> hey, what a soldier on. <laughs> And, and I'm sure our viewers couldn't even tell. So, you know, that's what we're impressed to because one of us love our viewers more than the other. And so I'm going to be here, rain or shine. Welcome, so. viewers. Talking about our former president, Donald Trump, who, as you guys know, was indicted in, in Georgia on what was like 19 or so many federal counts. I mean, not federal, state counts. Um, and here in Georgia. Like 91 uh, counts altogether, I believe. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> Here in Georgia, you have to appear and be arraigned, get a mutt shot and all that. And he's he's tried to fight it. He definitely tried to fight it. But our, our DA said, no, you will not be exempt. You are not above the law. You know, I think I'm going to make that mug shot my phone, my phone cover. <laughs> <Green> saber, <laughs> according to a guy that has repeatedly disrespected the law, even though the Bible says we should respect the law of the land and the law of God. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But on that note, I did want to bring in a, a dear friend of mine who is actually a pastor, a bishop in and of himself. He pastors a church in uh, Georgetown, Washington, D.C. He is not only just a man of God and a man of the cloth, but he's a learned man. He is uh, is actually he's an attorney by trade or by training as well. And he also is now an adjunct professor at Lancaster Bible College, and he teaches political science and history. We are excited today to bring into the roundtable consult, my dear friend, Bishop, Pastor, Professor, Esquire, Attorney, <laughs> Rodney Till. Welcome to the roundtable consult, Pastor Bishop. <laughs> well, good evening. How are you? Uh, absolutely wonderful. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me to be here. I'm happy to yeah. be here to hang out with you and Sonia. It's just good discussion before we got on and listening to you all now. Uh, I'm actually, I've got in the background here on my TV, uh, Trump en route to Georgia jail for historic fourth arrest. It's muted on CNN, but I'm 
checking it out. They were making a big deal. They just got him coming off the tarmac and headed down the highway uh, uh-huh. to make his appearance. He's supposed to be there uh, just any, at any time now. They were showing cutaway shots from the uh, from outside of the jail where they already have protesters and supporters uh, present. So this. Yes, all, and sadly, some on. of those supporters have Blacks for Trump shirts on, which is. <laughs> One of them is a name defendant anyway, too. So in, in, the, in the in the Atlanta Fulton County charges as well. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's rather shocking to me um, because it just, you know, what what remains shocking to me is to to know that this president has the former president has fomented uh, racist, sexist, xenophobic vitriol. Uh, and yet people who are in the categories that he has set himself up against will support him anyway and give him a pass. Like you, you couldn't slap my mother and then I'm ever your friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I, I really don't get how you can be a member of the class of people that he obviously hates and still well i mean yeah he rapes women but okay i'm a woman uh okay how i mean how do you get a pass for that how do you get a pass that he he thinks there were good people on both sides of the uh, the race ride in charlottesville would not denounce david duke Right. But, 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 but he's okay. I mean, I, I like his policies. I, I, I don't know what, what policies does he have that as that would make you, what's it? I don't, I, I can't imagine any policy anyone could have that would make me excuse them from being a racist. Uh, and I'm black. Well, the reason why that is because policy has not become your God, though. And so when policy becomes your God, you're willing to sacrifice any and everything for your God. Tell me, what is it that you will not give up for the God that you serve right now? There's nothing. There's nothing that you wouldn't do for the God that you serve. I mean, if it meant giving your life, your reputation, if you're really committed to that God, your life, your reputation, your 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 credit, all that stuff, your money, all of those things you'd be willing to give up in order to serve a God. And we see that people are willing to do that. And you can't persuade them that that uh that there is any wrongdoing in Trump. And Trump has become their God and the policies. So I think that things like uh patriotism, capitalism, and pro-lifeism have become gods to people. And so as a result, they're willing to sacrifice for it. Well, that's why why the first commandment is no other gods before me. But then in that's that's in Exodus. But in Leviticus, when the law is restated, God makes it clear that it's not just other gods before me, it's also other gods with me. Hmm. That the God God is is clear 
that he's not sharing the marquee, uh, you know, in, in in our lives. And I think that that's something that we we miss out on because it was even to be Old Testament e it for a moment is part of the problem with the children of Israel was not always putting a God before Yahweh. It was also trying to engage in the, the fancy word is syncretic worship where they did a little bit of Jehovah Yahweh, but they also did a little bit of Baal and they did a little bit of Asherah. And so they, they tried to mix it all up. And I think that's the challenge even for the evangelicals is because their God is not the Lord Jesus Christ. Their God is the Lord Jesus Christ, but he must be wrapped in not swaddling cloths, but in an American flag. And his mother has got to be blonde haired and blue eyed. And he's not laid in a manger. He's laid, you know, in, in a five star hotel, uh, as as symbols of wealth and power and prestige for for capitalism and so now you've got you got to worship capitalism you've got to worship patriotism you all these things have to be worshiped with god yeah. and i think that's the that's the challenge and here's the problem that one of the challenges that i've had recently especially among evangelical christians and that is that you know, I've heard more in the 2020 election, people were saying things like you can't be Christian, a Christian and vote Democrat. And, you know, and actually I had a pastor who from the pulpit in 2016 said there's only one godly choice in this mm -hmm. election. And the guy I voted for would do fine if he just keeps his mouth shut. And so we already knew at that point who he considered was a godly choice mm -hmm. for, for America. And so my concern is that people are now have now created, um, I think, strength. They've been offering God strange fire. They they use their political vote and their um, their, their their vote in the ballot box as an, as an altar, as if we're making a sacrifice unto God when we make when we vote for a person in the Republican Party or we vote for a person in the Democratic Party as if God really wants us to be like he's concerned about. Honestly, I don't believe that God is concerned about our votes because he's like, whatever. I do think he's concerned about the motive for your vote. I mean, if you're if you're voting, I will give I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. I think God, God intended for humankind to live in a theocracy where God was the ruler and God's law was the law. I, I think the challenge, whether it's a democracy or a monarchy or an oligarchy, all, all the different forms of government are challenged when the power exhibited by the government is not used to promote godly ends. But I don't, I don't know that God has a preferred form of government. Uh, so I, mean, I don't, I don't know whether votes matter anymore. 
here's the reason why the reason why it's interesting like you you know some of the policies that because you watch the debates you're also a theologian to some degree and and you're you're kind of saying oh the godly ends so are any of the um policies i don't care if it's democrat or republican are any of them conducive to godly ends from your standpoint see i think that there there are because we're in this democratic system i I don't think that there is a such thing as a perfect candidate because Christ is not running for any office. So given that you can't have a perfect candidate, then you have to choose the person who best represents what you understand God God to be calling for. And I think that the, that the ethos of what God calls for is love, the love of God, which is not an abstract thing. It's because, because God ties it to our love for each other. How can you love God whom you've not seen, but hate your brother who you see every day? And I, this notion of hate from a theological perspective is not actively doing things to hurt others hate is a failure to love and i think that's where we get it wrong we think hate means that i'm out there actually doing mean stuff to you when i think when we fail to honor the image of god in another person that's what hate is when when I don't recognize you as a human being just like I am and therefore can't, that, that's this notion loving my neighbor as myself. When, when I don't see that you have value just because you're human without regard to demographics, I think that's the, that's what God is, what God frowns on is hate. And I think we, we haven't grasped that. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing of, when I was hungry, you fed me. Not when I was black and hungry, or when I was white and hu- when I was hungry. My human condition is what matters. That I like. The, I like your definition of of hatred being, you know, the failure to recognize the image of God in another person. And I, I like that. I really like that. Let me get lots of kudos for that. Uh, but my my thought is this, and and that is that I don't believe that God is very much concerned about who we vote for. And the reason being is because the the whole purpose of our voting is to find out who governs this country and what laws are created uh, to help govern this country. I don't think God is interested in us creating any additional laws beyond those that he created himself. And we see that in the way that he interacted with the Pharisees. He had given the Pharisees a a prescription of laws that he expected them to follow, but in their zeal to follow him, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that it was an earnest zeal to follow God and his will, they wound up creating hundreds of extra laws on top of that. And, 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 And Jesus himself criticized the the um the pharisees for that very practice and and in their zeal for i guess being 
seeing who could be the most holy, which is what we see basically even in American politics today, who can be the most holy by and who can demonstrate the greatest amount of holiness and righteousness in their votes. We're seeing the same thing. We're trying to create additional laws and God's like, I've already finished. When Jesus died on that cross, he said, look, it's finished. Everything, all the tools that you need in order to overcome evil in this world, overcome the hatred and the failure of people to see the image of God and other people, it's already there. So why do you need to create a carnal system and and that to, to be able to accomplish what God has already put in place? As if our laws somehow or another would be would usurp the importance and or the efficacy of God's laws. And I don't think it's possible. I think the challenge is that people create nuanced in 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 the laboratory of human interaction. We create challenges that the word of God, the law of God already applies to. But we don't always choose to follow actually it's funny we talk about this because sunday um is our back to school sunday and and the 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 sermonic thought that i'm working with is from psalm 119 verse 33 which is teach me O lord the way of your statutes we want god god offers to teach us the way of god's statutes hmm. and if you learn the way of the statutes then you can make application of them in your lives we can make that application so that we observe the spirit of the law and and not try to kill each other with the letter mm. i think that would you when you talk about the way that the pharisees approach and even the way that some of our uh legislators approach you know they're, they're trying to create statutes but they don't even know what the way is mm. and unless you understand the way which is which is what christ this is what Christ came to teach us. That's why he says, I am the way, uh, the, the, the way, the truth, the life that God, you know, God comes to us, Emmanuel, God incarnate to teach us the way of God's statutes. And what does he say? Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mm -hmm. love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments. You got, if you got those, you got the rest of them. And so I think the challenge is we want to create these laws, just like we were talking earlier about uh, the the logic and the the adult in the room last night, Nikki Haley, who says, listen, why don't we talk about things we can fix? Why don't we talk about uh, if, if we if we all are sitting here saying there's something wrong with abortion up until birth? And we can agree that maybe maybe six weeks is too short and that the moment before birth is too long 
but somehow 15 weeks makes sense. Why don't we work toward legislating there? Uh, because that seems to be the way that demonstrates love, mm. love for the unborn and love for the mother uh, who has to choose what to do with her body. That, see, to, for me, that, that seems to be the way of the statutes instead of looking for the statutes, which is how can we nail somebody the next time? How do we catch them? And I think that makes the that makes the difference. And that's where I think our politicking uh, goes awry because our concern is not for the way of the statutes. It's for how can I use the law of God to beat somebody up? Well, you know, I actually do think that God is interested in who the leaders are, um, particularly, you know, we, we say this is a nation under God. We say this is a, a Christian nation. And so, I mean, God is interested in who's teachers and, and whether they're false teachers or accurate teachers. And Donald Trump, as well as Mike Pence and other people in the Republican Party, are being held as Christian leaders. And so, you know, to that Especially when we look at David, you look at Josiah, you look at Moses, you look at, um, you know, leaders in the Old Testament that God was very much invested and concerned and because he knew these are leaders that are going to be leading my people. And I think that's the same that's happening now. I mean, we are a Christian nation. So whoever is going to be the president is going to be leading what is to be a, a nation of, of Christians. But I, I, I do wonder, can you be I guess, evangelical, or can you be Christian and be political? Because I feel like we have gotten to a place, and I think you've kind of touched on this a little bit, where, you know, there's theology and then there's ideology. And I'd imagine to some degree, if you're so stuck on the ideology, you're missing the theology. And, and so by that, then you're going against what God is then calling you to do. So it, do you feel like you can be Christian and political? And I, I would add one more ology uh, to your theology and ideology, and I would add anthropology, because I think that that the anthropology is the necessary antecedent to the theology. If your anthropology is wrong or skewed, then your theology is necessarily skewed. And it, when your theology is skewed, that's what impacts and creates these skewed ideologies. If I don't see you as created in the image of God, then I can't even begin to talk about theology, which is the way in which I love God, if I can't love you. And, and my not loving you is what allows me to have these crazy ideologies that then do harm to others, uh, uh, and you know, and when when you when you ask the question, can you be evangelical and be, uh, you know, and 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 be political? I I think the answer is yes, because I think that I I am very much evangelical. I just don't appreciate uh, American radicalized evangelicalism i think i feel i feel about evangelicals uh the way that i would imagine uh persons who are 
Muslim feel about Muslim jihadists, uh, that that the, the, uh, American evangelicalism has taken what it means because the the evangel is Christ, and and, and American evangel evangelicals have taken Christ and made him unrecognizable in their effort to 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 change. I mean, I'm not, and I'm just not talking about you know the cosmetic changes of blonde-haired and blue-eyed and that's already ridiculous. I mean, how did, how would Jesus go and hide out in Egypt with his parents as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid and nobody noticed? I mean, so that's already ridiculous. But, but this notion of changing him into this image of capitalism, this image of narcissism, this, you know, this image of, uh, all, all of these ugly things that they have layered atop Christ that makes Christ would have something to say about a man who has an affair with a porn star and becomes the president of the United that that, that should matter a man who who sexually assaults women uh and still, you know, we make excuses. How do you make excuses for that? I don't think in, I don't think Jesus you do make name. excuses for it. I don't think you do. You, I think the way that Jesus approached that, he said, "What is in the world is of the world, and the world will always be the world." This is the expectation that we have of the world. When they came to him and said, "You know, should we pay taxes to Caesar?" Now you know Caesar was an ungodly ruler. He wasn't going to take that tax money and build temples to to idol to idols. Mm -hmm. And and so which was the reason why they were trying to entrap him. He said, "Well, look on this coin. Whose face is that? Whose name is that?" He said, "Well, this all belongs to him. Give unto him what everything that belongs to him because he made it." Mm -hmm. But give unto God everything that belongs to God, because mm -hmm. God made that part of it. And so I don't think that I don't think God made this uh, this political system that we're in. God didn't form this government that we're in. If God did, then he would not. It would not have allowed us the First Amendment to be able to worship any God that we want to. As you said, his first God, he said, you have no other God before me or beside me. You messed up right now with our First Amendment that allows you to be able to have this in contradistinction to his first commandment. And mm -hmm. so I, I don't think that he's he's um, that 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 God is that concerned with it. My own personal belief is that regardless of who's in the office, God is God is so omniscient and so sovereign that he knows how all of these things are going to pan out in the future. And it doesn't matter who's in the office. The end is going to play out as the end, regardless. You can't stop that. You can't stop this world from uh, becoming decadent. You can't stop the world, the, the hearts of man from waxing cold. What's going to have to happen is you have to prepare for it. Jesus said, I'm come. Did you think that I came to bring peace? No, I came to set father against son, mother against daughter. And what he says, but what I want you to do is I want you to remember the things that I'm telling you right now so that when the day comes, you'll know that you can take heart because I've overcome all of these things. You won't be you won't be disheartened when you see these things happen. 
and so I don't think that I don't think it's our charge as Christians to stop the world from going to hell in a handbasket. Our charge is to go out and preach the gospel. And if we make change in this world, the way that we make change in this world is not through politicking, not through legislation, but through evangelism. And that's why I don't even really consider myself an evangelical because the God gave some to be teachers, preachers, uh, pastors, apostles, prophets, and evangelists, not evangelicals. My, my, I, I, I I can't bring myself to call myself an evangelical because I know that evangelicalism started, it was a creation of man. There's no reason to create a whole evangelism. I mean, there's a difference between evangelism and evangelicalism. And I think the big difference between of it is that piece of activism. Evangelicalism started out as it was four central tenets to it. One was biblicentrism, the belief that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. We all believe that. There's conversionism. You know, once you accept Christ, you become a new creature. We all accept that. There is also crucicentrism, which means that through the through the crucifixion of Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. It allows us to be converted. We all agree with that. And then they started out with this part, this fourth tenet called activism. And they start the activism initially uh entailed the belief that and the understanding that we don't have to wait for a preacher or a priest to go and minister the gospel to people. We have testimonies ourselves and we can go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. That level of activism, I can agree with. But over the centuries, what's happened is that activism has taken on political activism, social activism, and other types of activism that has nothing necessarily to do with our central mission of going into the world, preaching the gospel to all people. And that's where I think evangelicals err. And I think that's what distinguishes evangelicals from evangelists. You under, if you mention, especially at least in America, if you mention what an evangelical is, the first thing you think about is politics and not necessarily evangelism, not not thinking about bringing people to Christ. You think mostly, you forget about those other three tenets, biblicentrism, conversionism, crucifixism, you forget about them and all you think about is activism. And that was not by happenstance. That was a, a very, I think, intentional uh, mechanism where they, would, where they would be able to manipulate people who have an earnest desire to surrender into God's will, manipulate them in order to be able to gain more political power through through their activism. Well, well I, I guess think, I'm kind of curious, two part questions. One, I mean, it sounds like you're saying even with the abolitionists of slavery, that that wasn't something that was, you know, aligned with what God would call us to do, even though we know that slavery was brutal and, <laughs> and with nothing but hatred. And so, the abolitionist to some degree was, I would imagine, coming from a place of love and humanity and all this kind of stuff. Um, but also, you know, one of the things that Mark and I have talked about, and I'm kind of curious as to your thoughts, Bishop, is whether when you go into that ballot or that voting booth, whether you vote your beliefs, your Christian values, or you vote your American values, and are the two different or can the two coexist? I think the, that that is the the 
challenge that we have to wrestle with. Uh, I personally, I believe in my voting, I'm voting to the extent of my knowledge, I'm voting what I believe to be Christian beliefs when there are Christian issues on the ballot. But often there aren't obvious Christian issues until the person is put in a, put in a place. For example, if, if abortion is on the table, then people get on one side or the other. And they'll say, well, you know, this is Christian, that's Christian. In fact, one of the, one of the classes that I'm teaching uh, this semester is Christian Perspectives. Uh, and it traces Christian thought across U.S. history. What were Christians thinking and writing about and sharing about uh, during the days of colonialism and, and then during the days of slavery and as the, uh, the Constitution is being written and people are claiming that they're Christians and you've got, you know, even today, the reason you have a United Methodist Church is because the Southern Methodist Church and the there was at one point only the Methodist Church, the Southern Methodists split because they wanted to keep slaves, and that left the Methodists uh, uh, alone in the North without slaves. And then later they come back together and unite. Now you've got the United Methodists, but you know the reason you have Southern Baptists is because there were only American Baptists, and the Southern Baptists wanted to have slaves. And the reason that you don't have a United Baptist is because the Southern Baptists have never given up their racist history and they've added to it a sexist history. So, I mean, the, those kind, those are the questions I think, uh, you know, when, when you go to the ballot box, no one's asking those kinds of questions up front. The people that we put in office though, do have, and it shows up in their voting record whether they're voting in alignment, this is my, and this is my thing with, uh, you know, Mark as well, talking back on this thing uh, about activism is active, Luke 4 and 18 is all about activism. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do. So how do you get rid of the to-do list that comes about when the spirit of the Lord is on you. And as a believer, I've got stuff that I'm supposed to be doing now, how, how it shows up in the voting booth. I, I, I don't know because I don't know what, I don't know what the candidates are going to do. Well, but don't you find it curious? Security, Medicare, like those so far Republicans are like, we want to get rid of these social programs. And right. They've always wanted argue, to get rid of them. Yeah, some may argue those social programs are aligned with biblical because they're talking about caring for your poor. They're talking about making sure, you know, you are spreading, again, your blessings and your resources to other people. Mm -hmm. So from your, I mean, you know, and I, I understand this is all interpretation to some degree. Right. Someone will say, well, no, that's not what the Bible meant at all. Um, but, but even in that, I mean, you know, I, I'd imagine anyone can look at policies that are out there right now and find a, a biblical angle to it. 
Um, right. and, and, and someone as yourself, I'm sure, can do that as well. So when you're going to vote, are you looking for that biblical angle in these policies? Are you saying, you know what, I'm just going to stick to what the Constitution says and see if there's anyone who is pretty much disrespecting the law right now? Look, for me, I'm more concerned about a politician's perspective in terms of how they view other people. I'm, I'm more interested in hearing about whether the policies, if they have a track record, whether the, their track record is one that lifts people up or that lifts up institutions and dollars. I'm more, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm listening for because I think that, uh, that the truth is found in policies that see the image of God in others. Uh, and so, so, you know, that's, and that's why I'm challenged uh, by political uh, workings that don't have an adequate anthropology behind them. Because I, I, I do really believe that you can't talk about loving God if you don't love other people. So, I mean, honestly, that's that's what I'm looking for, uh, where I'm where I'm looking uh, in the course of trying to see what's right, uh, what the things that are good. I'm I'm looking at Luke chapter four and seeing uh, do 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 these policies, uh, you know, work toward the recovery of sight to the blind and the liberating of the captives or are these policies that that bind people even more uh that 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 don't respect uh the image of god in them and i think that that becomes our job as christians but again like with what mark was sharing uh, i'm also very much mindful that the the bible says that if my people who are called, he's not talking about the world, he's talking about us. The the people who who are called by the name of God, that we're the ones who should humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face. That's what moves God. Uh, I mean, the world is going to get worldlier. Uh, Mark, what did you say? You can't stop the world from going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, you you can't. You, you know, we, there's there's nothing we can do about that. But God didn't give us that responsibility. He said, if my people would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I mean, the, the problem, I submit that the problem belongs to the church. The problem belongs to the people who know who God is and we have not reformed our ways. And if the problem belongs to, to the church, what mechanisms is it that the church should be using to remedy the problem? There has never been a mandate in the scripture that I'm aware of for the church to institute more laws to remedy social ills right now. There's, there, there's, there's no biblical precedent for it. And so that's the reason why I believe personally that uh, that 
when we go to the ballot box, um, you know, you can be motivated by your Christian beliefs, your your perspectives and your paradigms can be shaped by your Christian beliefs. But if your Christian beliefs are um, contrary to what the law is, the only way, at least in this country, to change the law is to first change the people. And that's where Jesus's focus has always been. He's like, listen, you need to understand the way of the statutes and not just the statutes. We're so focused on the statutes that we we eliminate our focus on the way of it. People are so concerned with outlawing the consequence of sin rather than eliminating the sin itself. Like, and I'm gonna use that as abortion. Abortion is, if you consider abortion to be murder or death, then death has always been the wage of sin, the consequence of sin. You want to eliminate the consequence without addressing the sin that caused the consequence in the first place. And the majority of people who are having abortions are Christians. <laughs> see, see, you, I mean, you see what I mean? That I mean, that's that that becomes part of the problem. If all the Christians stop drinking, what would happen to alcohol sales? If all the Christians stop smoking, what would happen to cigarette sales? If I, I'm just not 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 the world, I'm just the folks who belong to church, good going church going members. I'm talking about us for a moment. What if what if we stop buying uh, pornography? What would happen to that industry? So, so again, if my people, and and that becomes a challenge because here's 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 the translucent part. I'm part of God's people too, and even if you're not keenly aware of what I've not done, I am. And so, where does this? repentance peace begin it begins with me the 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 old spiritual not my brother not my sister but it's me it's my fault that the world is in the condition that it's in and so the place to begin the work is with me and allowing myself to be part of a community that recognizes its faults so that if we say we have no sin here's first john we're just deluding ourselves but if we confess our sin god is faithful and just to forgive us our sin that that and, and I, I love this part of it right he forgives us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness which means that the problem i brought to god in confession is one thing but when i am honest enough to bring that to god in confession god is so much god that he doesn't just clean the living room he also cleans the bathroom mm -hmm. and now that begins my process and so i think part of this part of this becomes a willingness to do self-examination. If you'll allow me just for a moment, I kind of want to push back on your reference in Luke. Uh, okay. You said the spirit about the activism, about the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do 
Right. But the the, the next part of that was to do what? To preach, okay. to preach uh -huh. the gospel, to uh -huh. bring good tidings, and to heal the sick, to set the captives free. All those things we should be doing. But none of those said to make new laws and to legislate. None of our mechanisms are never through legislation. That's 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 a world's weapon. That's the way that the world operates through legislation. So when I go in that uh, booth to vote, the reality is from a spiritual standpoint and from a spiritual standpoint for this country, it is irrelevant because the only thing that's going to be able to redeem a man is the acceptance of Christ in their life. And it's never good. They're never going to accept Christ through the uh, through through me outlawing homosexuality or uh, banning abortions or stopping homosexual marriage. They're not going to accept Christ through that law. And should they do it, guess who then gets the glory for it? Not God. The law does. And, and God doesn't God doesn't seek to. I'm sure God doesn't desire to have not even a law become a God before him. And so I I, I, I I hate to be pessimistic about it, but I do understand that there are some things that that our vote can produce. And I'm glad that we live in a democracy and, and it will produce some very earthly things and some carnal things. And we do need to be mindful of the, the world that we live in. But when we try to ascribe a spiritual mandate behind it or when we try to tag a spiritual compulsion beside a very carnal act, they just don't match. You can't you can't mix the flesh and spirit together. And so if we are to walk in the spirit, then then let us walk in the spirit, not necessarily after the flesh. I Okay, my, I guess my challenge is that given Jesus operated in the context of the society of which he was a part. Mm -hmm. And so that's why he says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and unto God that which is God. That those are two different spheres and that there is no conflict in operating in each of them. And so that's why I, I feel that in the context of the American democracy, participating fully in government, which is done by vote because we have a representative democracy, that it's important to do that as an informed voter who votes my conscience as influenced by my faith. I, I don't know that there is a perfect way to do that because uh, there is no perfect candidate. And, and let's be honest, I'm not the perfect voter. So even if there was the perfect candidate, I might jack it up as the as the voter. So I think the best that we can do is be integral 
when it comes to matters of faith and let those things that we believe guide us in participation because I don't think that not that being disengaged from the democracy uh, positions us to advance God's agenda. I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm not by any means suggesting that we disengage from it. Scripture tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. And as you rightly, I think, said, uh, Jesus operated within the context of the society that he was in at that moment. And and as Christians, we, we should do that as well. But we never saw Jesus try to change the system around using any other the political, not using a political might or power. In fact, when he rode into Jerusalem, many of his disciples expected at that moment that he was going to establish his kingdom. They expected that he was going to change the political system in mm -hmm. that moment. And Jesus was like, well, that was not the reason why I was called here. Right. That's your misunderstanding of my purpose. And so I think we do the same thing. We we misinterpret what it means to have dominion in the earth to mean that we should be dominating in the earth. And I think that's the evangelical perspective is that we're supposed to be able to dominate the earth and we're supposed to have political rule and control everything. But that was never you just never saw that become an agenda or an imperative by Jesus. So why do you think that that should be your imperative as well? Jesus submitted to the system that was in place around him and never tried to overthrow that, even though at any moment he could have. You know, mm -hmm. he said, don't you know, I, at any moment I can call 12 legions of angels here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, could, I could establish my kingdom right here, right now. But how else would scripture be fulfilled? Right. And so that's the part that we don't like. We don't like the idea of suffering. We don't like the idea of us being persecuted as Christians. So we want to create laws that somehow we think is going to insulate us against the persecution that the scripture said must be fulfilled. I, 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 <laughs> and, and so what it, what it speaks to me is that it's motivated mostly by our fear of losing control and losing uh, authority. And basically you, you misunderstood, you misinterpreted what authority really means from a spiritual perspective. If you think that you can be in this world and subject to this world, but still not have authority, spiritual authority. Mm -hmm. I, I love conversations that make me think yeah, and, and we're here on the round table con. So yeah, right. And I don't I don't know that we even and it looks like our time here has pretty much elapsed, but as it always does when we get into good conversations, there's so much more that I wanted to to be able to talk about, you know, especially that when you started talking about abortion and and uh I really would love to pick your mind about about some of the positions on abortions because I I'm of the mindset that, that God is not necessarily against abortion. In fact, God views abortion as a punishment. And in fact, he used it in several scriptures as a punishment for his people. Uh, I think it was, uh, gosh, uh, Isaiah or whoever, I think it's what it was. And maybe Second Sam Samuel, Second Samuel or Kings, one of the two of them. I'm blanking on the scripture right now where 
Elijah the prophet was prophesied to Haziel that he would become king. When he came to the king, sent Haziel to the prophet to say, hey, is this illness unto death? And um, the prophet told him, he said, go back and tell the king that he will live. And then the prophet started crying. Well, Haziel was saying, well, why are you crying? He said, because the king is going to die and you're going to assume his position. And um, but I know what you will do to my people. You will rip the children from the wombs of their mothers. And, and I always think I said, if that prophet had been an evangelical, he never would have given that word because they because he's prophesying at this moment that a mass abortions are about to take place because of the sin of God's people. Mass abortions were about to take place and they would do everything in their power to stop that from happening, even if it meant going against the will and the word of God. Yeah, I, I just think that God, God is in absolute control that means that if god has determined that a person will be born if i can stop god's plan then i become god i don't believe i can do that so there's no way that i could have an abortion or be part of an abortion that God didn't approve of, or at least permit, <laughs> permit, right? So yeah. permit, so uh -huh. so right. So that so I think the the challenge is when it comes to abortion that in this country, abortion as an issue is has not been so much about the life of the fetus as it has been about controlling the right of a woman to her body. And I struggle with that because that ties into this belief among evangelicals uh, in particular of complementarianism, which doesn't recognize the equality before God of men and women. That um, that God God made human beings, and then after God made the Adam, Ha Adam, that's the Hebrew. God made the human. Then God caused a deep sleep to fall on the human, and from the human singular created two humans, Adam and Eve. There was no Adam until there was Eve because the Hebrew makes clear that the first human was the Adam, one person. Male wasn't defined until female was also defined. That's why the writer of Genesis says, God created male and female, created he them. And we spend so much time trying to make women 
second-class humans. Hmm. And this abortion argument falls right in line with this second-class status of women. And because of their second-class status, they can be made to be incubators against their will. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, I struggle with that. And yeah. uh, so I, 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 I mean, I literally struggle be, because I have watched that argument by men, particularly white men, but not exclusively, that, you know, that even in, in the black church, when it comes to the role of women in church and how women are included or excluded, that there's this unspoken second classness that we want to put on women and all this other stuff. And abortion is just part of that argument. Yeah. I hate that, that we're prostituting our faith or our religion, Christianity, is being prostituted to um, to gain the, the 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 power and the control that so many, I think, of our supposedly religious leaders seek to acquire. Whether it's political power, whether it's power over the over women, or whether it's whether it's um, you know white dominance, white supremacy, all that, (laughs) that, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All of it. And it's all done in the name of Christ and which, which because I'm sitting there thinking like, there's so much more to Christ and there's such a misrepresentation of what Christ is in this world such that, you know, people would not want to accept the God that I know when they see the representation of him and the people who you're describing. Because when your anthropology is skewed, your theology is skewed, and so then your ideology. So we're back to all theologies again. It's just a full circle. <laughs> but but until we... well, I did want to do this a brief wrap up too. Like I mean, we mm-hmm. did talk about making sure we put the kingdom of God over the nation. We mm-hmm. also talked about putting theology over ideology. Uh, we also talked about making sure we are witnesses versus seeking political power. So being a Christian witness over political power. Um, we also talked about choosing influence over susceptibility. Um, and I think finally, I want to say we kind of hit on this, but we also talked about choosing trust over panic. And I think that's what Trump is doing a lot. He's he's mm-hmm. catering to people's fears. Um mm-hmm. Versus, you know, again, trust in what the Constitution says, trust in what the law says, and trust in what God has said. I mean, God, like you guys have said, God said this world can come to an end. So it's never meant to be paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, for those in our viewers just trying to see, okay, how can I be political and still be Christian? It is, it is really about prioritizing and making sure you don't find yourself being sucked into like you guys said, the fame, the money, the influence, the power um, that you're putting that as your idol. Yep, absolutely. Well, Bishop, we thank you so much for joining us here on the Roundtable Consult. And uh, time, like I said, always flies so quickly. We spend many, many hours on the phone, unfortunately, talking, uh, just really philosophizing. God bless you for spending hours talking to Mark. (laughs) 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 Listen, I mean, he's, hopefully he's your co- 
He's your cousin, so I'm praying for you. <laughs> Listen, this this has been been a lot of fun. Thank you for including me uh, in in your family and in your time. And uh, if ever I can hang out again, just call me. And we absolutely I certainly enjoyed my my time with you all. We absolutely will. Thanks so much for joining us too. Well, we got a word today. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, you know, I, I think we mentioned it once: Christian perspectives and politics. <laughs> so I hope we have. I hope you you've done a nice summary at the end of it to talk about what our perspective should be. I think in politics, and I, I agree with you. I, I do think that we can be, and maybe even should be in politics because it does give us some influence. But I never want us to ever get into the mode where we think that the way that we effect change is through legislation, and uh, because when we do, then the law gets to credit, and I never want to see the law get credit over over God. Nice if our politicians just focus on the economy, focus on health care, you know. That <laughs> Divorce <laughs> is already written in the paper. They should let them alone. Just focus. This is probably true. I, I would agree with you on that one. If they just focus on those things that don't necessarily deal with morality, let the Christians handle the morality piece. <laughs> or again, people their First Amendment rights. Whatever they decide is how they're going to police their their religious freedoms. Fine, that's what the Constitution permits them to do. Um, yeah. But when it comes to what the government for the people should do, I mean, we recognize government is to help the most vulnerable, to help the people who can't so much help themselves. So let's just work on making sure that's what we use the government for. Amen. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for tuning in on the Roundtable Console. We are here every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. You can also catch us on YouTube. You can see our beautiful smiling faces, at least me and Mark's face in some shape or form, um, on YouTube. So go make sure you subscribe to our channel there. And you can also catch us on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Apple. Please do make sure you follow us on there. Um, and finally, Star Radio will replay a repeat of this episode. So if you like so much, go on to the Star Radio site and check it out one more time. So thank you for tuning in. Please continue to like and comment, and we will see you next Saturday. This has been another episode of the Roundtable Consult. Listen to this or other episodes at your convenience on your favorite podcast directory or listening app. Or catch us live every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern at facebook.com forward slash roundtable consult. Tune in live and join the conversation.